But as far as primary sources go, that's really it for Atlantis. Which seems weird considering the Western world's obsession for at least the last few millennia. We know that Plato's story had enough of an impact on his contemporaries, or at least the following generation. Though most of his students agreed that the story was just a clever allegory, or a vehicle to deliver Plato's opinions, one fellow philosopher named Crantor believed it was a genuine account. Now, that's all well and good, but it doesn't prove anything other than Plato was just really great at storytelling. The famed Greek biographer Plutarch wrote The Life of Solon, a whole biography on the Athenian sage and Plato's ancestor, and in this account, Atlantis crops up again. The biography details Solon's visit to Egypt, and in it, Plutarch actually names the Egyptian priest as Sanchez of Saïs. Far from just telling Solon the story of Atlantis, Sanchez goes one step further and shows the Athenian a set of inscriptions on pillars that document the legend. Plutarch believes Solon fully intended to physically document this legend of Atlantis long before Plato did, but felt it would be too much of an undertaking for his age. Some scholars take issue with Plutarch's primary sources and inaccuracies, so it's hard to say for sure how much of his writing was credible. Now, Solon was definitely real, and there is plenty of evidence that he did visit Egypt. Solon was sort of like the Bernie Sanders of ancient Athens. He had seen the rise of tyrants and was afraid Athens would go down the same road, as it was already a place of startling inequality and class division. Solon introduced a series of progressive reforms, which would eventually lead to the birth of democracy as a system of government. But other than this, not much is actually known about Solon, other than his reformist platforms, his protection for sex workers, and that he might have been gay, but back then who wasn't. Naturally, Solon wasn't exactly well-liked by many of his Athenian aristocrats, who deemed him a radical. But Solon was also clever. Because of how the Athenian government worked, laws could not be repealed unless the lawgiver was present in the city of Athens at the time. So in order to ensure that his designs would not just be undone or thrown out, Solon hopped the next ship for Egypt, where he lived for 10 years. There, according to Plutarch, he was welcomed by Pharaoh Amasis II and discussed philosophy with his priests, which included Sanchez of Saïs. The location of this fabled encounter is specified as taking place at the Temple of Neith, dedicated to an Egyptian war goddess who is seen by the Greeks as being a manifestation of Athena. Unfortunately, no trace of Saïs remains today, so if there really were inscriptions pertaining to a lost continent, we no longer have them. Nothing new emerges concerning the subject of Atlantis until the next millennium, when Proclus, a philosopher from the 400s, makes reference to a book by an author named Marcellus. This book, which has never been found, is a text called the Ethiopica, a name that may refer to Ethiopia, or rather the ocean surrounding the country, which is sometimes considered Atlantis territory. According to this long-lost text, there existed an island around 200 kilometers, or 124 miles long. This island was dedicated to the god Poseidon, whereas neighboring islands were the domain of Persephone, Hades, and the Egyptian god Amon. The inhabitants of this unnamed island had documented their ancestors coming from a greater island called Atlantis, which